Watch this. Welcome to GT Overdone, the podcast that reviews, rehashes, and relives the adventures of Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and Richard on the Grand Tour and beyond. I am Crockett, and I've got a reasonably priced microphone, and I look my best in a full-faced helmet. Thank you, all of you fans of Clarkson, Hammond, and May for listening in on your podcast platform of choice. In this podcast episode, brilliantly titled The Grand Tour's Grand Tour, Part 2, we will finish reviewing the third episode of The Grand Tour, Season 1. And so as a quick review of last week, Jeremy and James wanted to resurrect the practice of going on a Grand Tour, where men of means would get in their Grand Touring cars and visit other places to get immersed in different culture, learning and appreciating different art, music, fine food. Jeremy has chosen an Aston Martin DB11, and James brought a Rolls-Royce Dawn. Before they set off, of course, Richard shows up, in a very loud Dodge Challenger Hellcat and insists on joining them. And so here we are back in the action shortly after they are waking up on day two of their grand tour. The trio set off in their cars and talk more about them, except now they've gotten to know their cars a little bit better, right? They have a little bit of history together, as it were. So they share their reflections and what they're thinking about their cars. They compare the miles per gallon that they're getting. Not surprisingly, Hammond is only getting 6.6 miles per gallon in his Hellcat. No doubt in part because of how he was driving it, of course. James's Rolls-Royce was averaging 15.7 miles per gallon, and Jeremy's Aston Martin was getting a very respectable 21 miles per gallon. So let's reflect for a second. You know, this film went pretty hard at pitting the two stereotypes against each other. Loud, obnoxious, American muscle against refined, elegant, powerful pedigree. And we know why they're doing it, of course. The, the contrast is humorous. The contrast is easily made, easily exaggerated. There's plenty of material to work with. But as I watch this, even as immature and obnoxious as they made the Hellcat stereotype, and as snobby and elitist as they made the Rolls-Royce and Aston Martin stereotypes, I found that none of that deterred me in the least from enjoying what both worlds had to offer. Do you know what I mean? Do you feel the same way? I rooted for Hammond when he gunned it in the tunnels, and I would vote for Jeremy's DB11 as the best-looking car on this grand tour. And I suppose if I wanted my convertible top to sound like a silent symphony or whatever Rolls-Royce called it, then I would applaud James's car for having just that. So as much as they made these two types of motoring experiences clash in this episode, I can't come away taking a side. I'm not saying that they want us to, I'm just saying that after all that purposeful contrasting, even if it's just tongue-in-cheek, I still love both worlds. Oh, and the aerial shots in this part of the episode. Uh, just before Jeremy and James arrive in Verona, these aerial shots here are some of the most beautiful shots of the entire season. What gorgeous countryside. I love it. I love it. So day two ends with more of the same cultural appreciation interrupted by the sounds of burnouts in the distance. At the break of dawn on day three, Clarkson and May try to, <laughs> try to leave the hotel before Hammond gets up. In fact, with their cars parked just beneath the second story window of the room that Hammond is staying in, they consider carefully how to start their cars and leave in silence. The Rolls has a quiet start system, so James starts it up with very little noise. The DB11 also has a quiet start system, but Jeremy says he doesn't know how to use it. So <laughs> he begins to push his car out of the lot. 
And it is at this moment that Richard gets back from an early morning jog, all sweaty, and he reassures his mates that he'll rinse off real quick and be right there to join them. <laughs> so James's reaction is amazing. He slams both hands on his steering wheel repeatedly. <laughs> he really seems angry. Well, so they take off without him anyway, and they try to disguise their cars, but Hammond finds them nonetheless, and the touring continues. Well, soon, Jeremy comes up with a plan to send out a tweet saying that Richard will be appearing in a certain town square. Well, he sent it out in Italian, so he used the word exposing instead of appearing, but the idea is lure Richard into this spot, he gets mobbed by fans, and then Jeremy and James can continue the tour without him. And just before this part happens, as they are approaching the center of town in the program, I noticed in a shot from the back of the production truck where uh, Clarkson, Hammond, and May are all driving in a line behind the camera truck, there's a scooter driving beside James in the other lane, and the driver and the passenger on the scooter are giving him a big thumbs up. <laughs> and it, it's not shown very long, so you have to be looking uh, quickly, and in the, it's kind of in the background too. And you know, this kind of thing must happen constantly, and yet... They do such a good job of keeping that kind of thing to a minimum in the final edit, don't they? So that was amusing. So they show up to this town where Jeremy hopes some people will have read his tweet and come to Mall Hammond. And oh yes, there is a huge crowd, right? Huge crowd. The on-screen, <laughs> the on-screen Amazon trivia says they don't know how many people were there, but Jeremy estimated it at 47 billion. <laughs> now, I'd, I'd like to know what really went into this. For example, did Jeremy really tweet this? Did, did he really tweet it out back in, what would that have been, like around spring 2016? Did Mr. Willman and the production team notify local media outlets, you know, in the area where they were? I'm just, I'm just so curious how things like this are really done, you know? I don't doubt that Jeremy can get, you know, a lot of people to show up from a tweet. But, you know, they were kind of planning this for their TV program, so they needed it to be you know, they needed those results. So I'm just wondering how they ensured those results. Yeah, that was funny. So Hammond is stuck and the other two drive on to Venice, ending day three of their tour. And as Jeremy's voiceover takes us into the morning of day four, he tells us that he and James partake in what all of their predecessors in Grand Touring would have done in Venice, which is taken the sights from the water. So the two of them enjoy a peaceful gondola ride until... That's right, until Hammond shows up in a monster powerboat doing circles around their gondola until Jeremy and James fall into the water, which is a fitting and appropriate way to end their grand tour, really. And, you know, James had to fall into some water at some point, so there, check that box off. And so leave it to Hammond, the honorary American, to do donuts even on the water. And that there concludes their grand tour film, and we are taken back to the tent. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we will pick up here in our next review segment. Your name here. Your name here. Okay, and now everyone's favorite segment, Your Name Here. This is where we interact with you, our beloved listeners. We read your letters, answer your many questions, and even put your voice on the show when you leave us a voice message. I am quite excited because I think what I mentioned in our last episode about the ability of you, the listener, to leave us a voice message from basically any platform that you're listening to us on, I think that announcement really got the ball rolling because literally two minutes before we started this show, Charles said that we received a voice uh, message notification from our Anchor account. Is that is that pulled up? Okay. You're sure there's a message there, right? It's not like a false positive. Okay. There's actual audio. Okay. 
All right, let's put, oh, wait, wait, wait. I want to do something. All right. Hello, GT Overdone listener. What is on your mind? The reason behind call is that there is a lawsuit case is getting filed under your name. The moment you receive this message, I want you to get back to me on my department division number 38373-0339. Now, if we don't hear from you, we have to issue arrest warrant under your name and get you arrested. So get back to me as soon as possible. Thank you. So back in the tent, the guys give us the expected and beloved banter about the previous events, such as knocking James and Jeremy into the water and how Richard cut a a seven-foot-tall painting in half that the other two gave him. But Jeremy cuts it short to say how much he genuinely loved the Aston Martin that he drove. They usually save this kind of thing for the very end of the episode, so I wasn't sure why he mentioned it here, unless it's just because they have too many other things to fit into the episode after this. So he wanted to praise the DB11 while the film was still fresh in everyone's minds. And it's a beautiful, beautiful car. I didn't love the color, orange, brown, whatever. I didn't love it, but it is a beautiful car nonetheless. Right after praising his car, Jeremy introduces Celebrity Brain Crash. Who will die this week? Well, it's Simon Pegg, probably best known as Benji from Mission Impossible, and Scotty from the new Star Trek films. So we see uh, Simon Pegg walking nonchalantly through the little town, heading in the direction of the tent. He's eating an ice cream cone. We can see it is definitely him. And then as he goes to head across the bridge that will lead him over to the GT tent, the camera, <laughs> the camera of course takes a, <laughs> the camera of course takes a very wide shot. And so from the distance, we see the seagulls have begun to come after him and his ice cream. And as he waves them off, he falls off the bridge into the water and dies. So so obviously it's a stunt double that fell, but it was Simon Pegg that started in the sketch. So that brings our celebrity brain crash to two to one. So that's two real celebrities making an appearance and one fake lookalike or not lookalike, but we'll just call it a stand in. To fill the time in the wake of Simon Pegg's untimely death, Jeremy talks about self-driving cars and how he didn't know what you know what, what was so difficult about that, and he managed to create one in 10 days. So he shares his creation there in the studio of the self-driving car that he made out of half a septic tank and a man on a tricycle inside. So technically, it's not self-driving there, Jeremy. I mean, he doesn't have to drive it, but someone does. Now, <laughs> This is fun. Did anyone else notice when Jeremy was climbing on top of the thing to sit in the the chase lounge seat thing up on the top? He said, it's so easy to get in and out of, you know. Great thing is, it's so easy to get in and out of, you know. Did you catch the reference to the Top Gear episode? You know. Did you recognize it? Do you know what it's from? That is a reference. What, Charles? Oh, you found it? Okay, yeah, yeah, play it, play it. My niece got this from Shackleton's, you know. You know, you know. Shackleton's high-seat chair, it's lovely. But they're so easy to get in and out of, you know. You know, and it is lovely to find a nice high-seat. Okay, if you, if you hadn't known and that hint didn't solve it for you, that clip was from the Top Gear Season 19, Episode 5, 
where Jeremy and Richard <laughs> modify a car just for senior citizens. The Rover James, remember? The <laughs> Rover James. And they wanted comfortable seats in the car, but ones that are easy to get in and out of, you know. So Jeremy looked up this old chair advertisement that he remembered from the 80s and supposedly found it on YouTube. I mean, it seems like he really did. Uh, and, and, and that's what he was playing there for Hammond. Uh, that 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 Rover James, that's one of my all-time favorite episodes. That is probably in my top five. And you know, what's interesting as I reflect on this, I feel like with all the history these guys have, all of the adventures, all of the inside jokes, I mean, think about it. All Think about all of that that these three have together. It is really surprising to me how infrequently they drop little remember that time lines in their programs, which is to say basically never. They basically never do that. So that's why when I heard him say, it's so easy to get in and out of, you know, it set off a little bell and hey, you're referencing a joke from an old Top Gear episode and you guys never do that. That was a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, in the last part of the episode, James and Richard introduce a short film where they knock down Jeremy's house. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, his real house. If you remember in episode one, Jeremy bet that the McLaren he was driving would be the fastest in a race. And if it wasn't, the other two could knock down his house. Well, it wasn't, so they did. And it's okay if it was staged. It's okay if he was planning to knock it down anyway. Whatever. It's still fun to watch. We got to see Richard's giddiness as he slammed through a rock wall with an excavator and begins taking swings into the house with it, while James meticulously goes over a <laughs> blueprint, claiming that it will go faster if they do it systematically. So after a while of James going too slowly and Richard getting his digger stuck, they supposedly find some <laughs> hilarious items in the debris, such as a voodoo doll with James' face on it and a scrapbook full of pictures of only Richard. <laughs> so they decide, I think it'd be best if we don't go through his his uh, precious uh, items left behind. So finally, they have the house lined with explosives and just blow it up instead. Yeah, so on that bombshell, we go back to the tent and they close out episode three. Jeremy asks if they really blew up the oil painting of him on the horse. <laughs> but... And he says, and on that terrible disappointment, we have to end. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our tour of the Grand Tours Grand Tour that I hope you found grand. Okay, just drive. Just drive. Just drive. In this week's Just Drive segment, I wanted to talk about people buying their parents, particularly their dads, uh, a car, and usually their, their dream car, or car that, for example, a car that their father used to have, the actual same car, and then, you know, 20, 25, 35 years later, the grown child locates it and buys it and surprises their father with it. Have any of you watched some videos of this? Now I know that things can really change when cameras come out, that's true, but some of these, and one in particular that I'm thinking of, is just so genuine, it seems so pure it's just a beautiful thing there was the one case that i'm thinking of um this son locates and buys back the 1971 mach 1 that his dad the actual one that his dad used to have it was uploaded by a user named crazy scorpion the video will choke you up then there are some that are more of a turn off because it, it's not the real deal you know and we can tell 
you can actually see a, a representation, a microcosm of, of the people's relationship in these instances. You know, we didn't all have amazing parents, but I think that most of us did. I'm willing to bet that most of us did, who did the best that they could. And to be able to do something in this, especially for the dads, because of course, the, the men usually have more of the bond to the vehicles, right? To be able to buy your dad the car of his dreams or, or the, an old car that he used to have, you know, assuming that he doesn't have real pressing needs in other areas of life, what a privilege um, that would be to do that. I don't know that I'll be able to do that for my dad. I know that I know what car it would be if I could. He had a 1967 Pontiac GTO. And of course, even if the car does still exist, I would never be able to track it down. This one video that I'm talking about with the, the Mach 1, um, he actually had the VIN, so he was able to track it down using that. All the way up into Canada, it's a, it's a great story, you have to go watch it. So I wouldn't be able to actually track my, my dad's old car down, but but I know what I would shoot for if I could. It would, it would probably be a 67 GTO. Thank you, Grand Tour fans, for joining us here on GT Overdone. In our next show, we'll talk about the Grand Tour's fourth episode. This is Crockett telling you to drive on. That is the worst ever.